Hey there, travelers. I'm Isabella. I'm Riley. I'm Angelica. And this is True Crime International. So Isabella, where where are you taking us to today? So today we're taking a surprise trip to Japan. This was not what I had planned, but things happened. So if you're on our Patreon, then you know that this is actually my third episode, like like my third my third time doing a case from Japan. And look, I don't care. It makes my heart happy. And I was doing research for a case from an entirely different country, and I'll I'll do that episode next time. Uh, and I opened up YouTube to play music because when I'm working, I, I uh, play music on YouTube. And this case was actually recommended. It was like it was in my YouTube recommended. Someone had made a video about it. And I got, uh-huh. I shit you not, I got 10 seconds into the video. And I was like, no, there's no way this case is real. And I looked it up and it is 100% real. And it's, it's a lot. I Before recording, I poured myself a healthy glass of wine because I'm going to have to say some things later in this episode that I'm just not comfortable saying st- stone cold sober. So cheers. I, I saw nice. it when I was doing uh, my part. I was like looking at the Wikipedia page and I was like, in she put what in her? No. <laughs> 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 yeah, I there like there's there's a quote from her. Like I'm gonna say the exact quote because there was just no way I was gonna paraphrase it. <laughs> but I I cannot I cannot say it sober. So we'll get to that, and there will definitely be a no eating warning as well. You're good for now. I'll let you know when we get there. But this case is just so wild. I couldn't not talk about it. So surprise trip to Japan today. All right. So today's story is all about a woman called Sada Abe, and she is. Like it from kind of my approximation, she is to Japan what Lizzie Borden is to the US. Like her case is so infamous, it has like this mythical, legendary feel to it. And it's referenced a lot in like pop culture, literature, film, anime, manga, all of it. Lizzie Borden wasn't guilty, prove me wrong. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like the big difference between Lizzie and Saba is we, Sada, sorry, uh, is that we don't know for sure if Lizzie did it. But we know for damn sure that Sada did it. Sada 100% did it. I feel like Lizzie did it, but that's the yeah. point. Okay, if Lizzie didn't do it, who did? Right? Not Lizzie. The door was locked. Okay, we're not, we'll, we'll, we'll do a Lizzie Borden episode one day. Because <laughs> I feel like there are some strong opinions in this group. All right, so Sada. Sada was born on May 28th, 1905, to Shigeyoshi and Katsu Abe, who were both, uh, they were tatami mat makers. Tatami mats are like when you see traditional Japanese homes, those like um, the, the special floors that you see in Japanese homes, those are tatami mats. Mm-hmm. She was the seventh of eight children, but sadly half of her siblings didn't live through childhood and that ultimately made her the youngest. That's really sad, bro. It's Yeah, it is really sad. But you also have to kind of consider the time this is, the beginning of yeah, the 20th century, sure. infant mortality was a lot higher. Sada's parents, by all accounts, were regular nice people, according to their neighbors. Uh, their tatami mat business was successful, and they enjoyed a pretty comfortable upper middle class life in Tokyo. The only sort of negative thing anyone had to say about either of the parents was that uh, the father, Shigeyoshi, was he, he, like he had a taste for the finer things and had a habit of like trying to live above his means. But he was still considered like a good morally upstanding member of the community. Like the neighbors didn't really have anything bad to say about him. However, Saba, I'm going to say Saba a lot and you're going to have to correct me. Sada's siblings weren't quite as revered by the community as her parents were. Her older brother, uh, Shintaro, was known to be a bit of a player uh, before he like he did, he got married, but after he got married, he ran off with his parents' money and left them with like nothing. So that's a flex. Yeah, man. but even more shameful in the eyes of the family, though, and this is huge reflection of the time and place, was Sada's older sister uh, Teruko. She was accused of sleeping around, and I mean, what a crime! Wow, how dare what wow. a crime. Can you imagine a woman health healthily exploring her own sexuality? Awful. Just awful. 
and to punish his daughter for her promiscuity. Shigeyoshi sent her to work at a brothel, which was actually a totally normal punishment for the, quote, loose women of Japan at the time. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, culture is we, we really with this case today we really have to remember the cultural differences between how we are like how we grew up in the US versus Japan it's it's a really big context matters a lot here uh, but Shigeyoshi actually yeah. felt bad for uh, selling uh, Teruko to the to the brothel and so he brought her home and then given the socioeconomic standing a woman's promiscuity wasn't considered to be like the be-all, end-all for her reputation, which for the early 1900s, honestly, you know, selling your daughter to the brothel to a brothel isn't great, but it, <laughs> it is a little progressive. Uh, and Teruko was able to marry well not long after she was brought home. Like, it, it didn't completely destroy her reputation. I think Shigeyoshi probably felt like it was going to be worse for her reputation to stay at the brothel than it was to come back and get yeah. married. Because Sada was technically the baby, Katsu, her mother, really doted on her youngest child, youngest living child. Sada had more freedom to do as she pleased than any of her siblings. She got to take music lessons to learn how to play the shamisen, which is the like three-stringed Japanese guitar. Um, she also mm -hmm. learned how to sing. And skills in these arts were closely associated with geishas and prostitutes at this point in time in Japan. And though prostitutes weren't revered by society, geisha were and held this like celebrity-like status in Japanese society. And Sada loved the geisha and would often style herself like one. Now, I feel like a lot of people know the word geisha and can clearly picture in their mind what geisha look like. But I want to take a minute to actually explain what geisha are, because I'm fairly certain most people don't know. Like, what, what do you think a geisha is or does? I'm going to be honest, I have no idea, so I'm looking it up right now. Um, I I know, like, I already knew, but also um, <laughs> the most recent season of Westworld um, actually talks about this briefly. Oh, okay. And depicts them pretty well. I mean, like, Hollywood could yeah. p depict everything better than they do, but, like, they are depicted, that's for sure. I knew what this was. I just didn't know the name for it. Like, I feel like everyone can clearly picture what a geisha looks like in their brain, but they, yeah. uh, a lot of people don't really know what a geisha does, like what the actual job is. Mm -hmm. So geisha, as we know them now, actually started to take form uh, in 794 AD. Like, this is old. The geisha of old established the traditions that are still practiced by the geisha today. And in short, geisha are entertainers. And the actual word geisha means arts person in Japanese. And the very first geisha were actually men who would entertain people in the pleasure districts of Kyoto, which was the ancient capital of Japan. Obviously, the capital now is Tokyo. Um, and they would also entertain the court. So like the emperor and, you know, his family. The first female geisha wasn't documented until 1751. And that seems really late to me. Yeah, it does seem pretty late. Because when you th when you hear geisha, you you picture women, yeah. And so I just assumed that the tradition of women as geisha were was just a lot older than it is. Yeah. And so there were plenty of geisha that sold sex in the early years, uh, but most were more like courtesans. So they entertained their clients more through the arts as opposed to through sex. Geisha spend years training in the traditional arts of dancing, singing, playing instruments, poetry, calligraphy, and of course, the all-important art of conversation. And they would use all these skills to entertain men, tourists, whatever. By around 1800, geisha was pretty much, like being a geisha was pretty much an exclusively female profession. The ladies had successfully phased out the men, and I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> It was also around this time that it became illegal for geisha to sell sex, but a lot of them just chose to ignore this law, and then it, it just it just was not enforced, really. They yeah. were considered low-class entertainment for quite a while, but as their popularity grew, so did their place in society, and after a few decades, most didn't even need to sell sex anymore, especially the high-ranking ones. They didn't sell sex at all. It was just like the low-ranking ones that did. 
By the 1830s, geisha were fashionable. They were trendsetters. They had become idolized by Japanese society. I mean, they were kind of like, in a way, the influencers of 1830s Japan. The geisha were at their peak in the 1920s, though, when there were more than 80,000 of them working. Yeah. Wow. And that's insane because to become a geisha takes so many years of training and studying in the arts, understanding traditions, honing their skills as entertainers. It takes a lot. And being a geisha is so much more than a profession. It is a way of life. Most geisha will work for as long as they can, sometimes into their 80s or 90s. And also geisha mm-hmm. aren't allowed to be married because marriage and geisha just aren't considered compatible like you you can't you can't do both however it is completely fine for geisha to have as many lovers as they want and they can even have children like no problem they're just like don't get married honestly i'm not mad about it unfortunately today geisha is a dying profession there are less than 5000 of them remaining in japan but the exact number isn't really known not very many people are willing to give their lives to it anymore and i can understand that um, and actually now a night being entertained by geisha can cost up to $2,000 per person, which is insane. That's so much money. Uh, the lives of the geisha and their workers, it's pretty secret now because they're, they're far less accessible to most people and they have this like mythical vibe to them now. So that's what geisha are. Uh, let's get back to Sada. So with all of the drama that was happening with her sister Teruko, Sada would often be sent out of the house so her parents could argue with her sister. Like there would, there would be screaming matches and so Sada would get the hell out. Um, while she spent time out on the streets, she met some teenagers that were considered like, they were considered to be trouble. But I mean, they were all kind of, they, they were all kind of forced to be out of their homes and that's why they all met and she became friends with them. And Sada really liked her new group of friends, but everything changed when one night, one of them raped her. At first, rather surprisingly, Sada's parents stood by her and supported her and didn't didn't blame her for what happened, which, I mean, this is the late 19-teens, early 1920s. That is, mm-hmm. that is progressive. I think they blamed themselves yeah. a lot because they're the ones that sent her out of the house. However, Sada had gone through something so traumatic and she didn't have the coping mechanisms to be able to work through it in a healthy way. So she started lashing out. And this makes total sense to me. Of course she did. It's not like they they had the same access to mental health back then as they do now and understanding trauma and how that can affect your behavior. I mean, shit, this was before PTSD was like, they, they still called it shell shock back then. Yeah. Yeah. Her parents tried to help her by getting her a job as a maid for a wealthy family, thinking that, you know, maybe she has a job, some stability, making good money in a safe environment. It would help her. But she she really hated the job. She ran away a lot. She stole from the family. So obviously she was fired. She couldn't keep working there. And at this point, it was the early 1920s, literally 100 years ago. No one was informed about mental health. No one knew how to get through a significant trauma like this. This was would have been infancy for, for that sort of thing. So Shigeyoshi and Katsu were at a total loss of what to do to try and help Sada. And in 1922, they sold Sada to a geisha house, hoping it would give her structure and stability that she needed that the working as a maid didn't. Um, and she had wanted to be a geisha, you know? Her oldest sister, not Teruko, but another one, would later tell the court at her trial that Sada had wanted to become a geisha, but Sada insisted that her father was punishing her for promiscuity, just like he had done with Teruko. I oh, I don't know. So she kind of saw it in the same yeah, light. Yeah, I think that's probably how she saw it, but I'm not sure that Shigeyoshi, because, because he brought Teruko back, I don't think he saw it as an appropriate punishment anymore, you know? And I think, I think they probably thought, like, she really wants to be a geisha and so she can focus her time and her energy on her studies instead of gives her a way to like bring control back to herself yeah yeah but the geisha thing it didn't go in the direction sada would have hoped because in order to become a star among the geisha you had to train from childhood and she she had it not to become a geisha like she had taken music and singing lessons but it wasn't what was needed to make her stand out from the pack. It would be like learning clarinet as a kid, just like a couple days a week and then auditioning for Juilliard. Like it's just, 
it's not the same thing it's yeah. not to the same level how how old was she at this time so she's born in 19 so she would have been 17 so because she didn't have what it took to become you know a star geisha she never rose among the lowest ranks of the geisha and because she stayed among those low ranks she was forced to sell sex she did that for five years until she got syphilis and at this point in time syphilis was considered incurable but controllable so sada would have been able to continue work as a geisha selling sex as long as she consented to regular health screenings but she didn't really want to do that though she felt wronged in a way by the geisha i mean here was this seemingly glamorous profession doing more harm than good for her you know she'd gotten syphilis and she made half the money that she would have otherwise if she were a prostitute outside of the geisha profession so she quit but not long after quitting though she found out that making more money as a prostitute rather than selling sex as a geisha meant that her life became a whole lot harder the geisha had the respect of japanese society which gave those geisha that sold sex a blanket of protection and a blanket of control over their clients but that that didn't exist in the in the brothels that was an entirely different thing so sada moved to osaka where she was working at a state licensed brothel and it was tough on her when she was mistreated by her clients she would steal from them and then she would receive really harsh punishments when she was caught and she tried to escape from the brothel the whole world uh only to be sucked back in a, a a lot she she just couldn't really get out it wasn't until her mother's death in 1933 that she finally got the reason she needed to just get out to leave uh no one was going to question her going back to tokyo because her mother died you know so she traveled back to tokyo to visit her mother's grave and to be with her father and then one year later he died Back in Tokyo, Sada continued to work at various brothels. In October 1934, she was arrested after the unlicensed brothel she was working at was raided by police. And a friend of the owner named Kasahara had thought Sada really beautiful and bailed her out of jail before making her his mistress. He got Sada to move to Nagoya with him, gave her a house, gave her money, but she soon proved to be a lot more than he could handle. Years later, Kasahara recounted their time together to police saying, quote, she was really strong, a real powerful one. She wasn't satisfied unless we did it two, three, or four times a night. To her, it was unacceptable unless I had my hand on her private parts all night long. At first, it was great, but after a couple weeks, I got a little exhausted, unquote. And if you're thinking, wow, that was weird, <laughs> wait. <laughs> After some time you of- You read my mind. Sorry? You read my mind. After some time of her being his mistress, Sada asked Kasahara to leave his wife for her because he was. she was like, what, what the hell am I even doing here, you know? Which he refused to do because he was like, I love my wife. So she was like, okay, then let me have another lover at least because he wasn't satisfying her. And he said no to that too. So, <laughs> well, sir, like, what do yeah. you want yeah. her to I'm, do then? To be honest, I haven't liked him from the start because he was like, oh, I'm going to essentially pay this woman's bail and then, like, make her kind of feel like she's in debt to me. Yeah, seriously. And yeah. then say she's too much for me to handle. Exactly. <laughs> Years later, though, the two of them had just some not nice things to say about each other. They didn't get along. They were not compatible. So Kasahara said, quote, she is a slut and a whore. And as what she has done makes clear, she is a woman whom men should fear. I like the rhyme, but I don't like the message. But again, with that, the double standard, yeah. again, you are a man with a message. Yeah, yeah seriously. <laughs> like, uh, but Sada countered that by saying he didn't love me and he treated me like an animal. He was the kind of scum who would then plead with me when I said that we should break up. I mean, I, I believe He's her. spineless. I believe her too. Spineless. In 1936, Sada went back to Tokyo and she decided to pursue a career working in restaurants because she was sick of the sex trade. And girl, I don't blame you. It has not treated you well. 
She began working mm-hmm. at a restaurant as an apprentice when she met the man that would change her life, Kichitsu Ishida. In a good way or a bad way? It's complicated. <laughs> that was daunting. I feel like it's bad for someone. It's bad for a particular... I mean, it's it's complicated. We'll get into it. So, okay. <laughs> Kichitsu Ishida was the owner of the restaurant. And he had worked his way up in the restaurant business for decades, earning him some respect in the community. Although at the time Sada met him, his wife was the one managing the restaurant and like really in charge because he was just spent all his free time and the time at work being a player. He just was out getting laid, being a womanizer. So as we know, Sada was super comfortable with her sexuality. She had no qualms with being a sexually liberated woman whatsoever. And Kasahara had certainly never satisfied her. This was made very clear. So when Ishida started making advances towards Sada, she was really receptive and they became lovers. And oh boy, when I say lovers, I mean lovers. They were so attracted to and infatuated with one another. It was seriously on another level. I don't want to be part of the infatuation station ever. That That's, that's when things get really tricky, I feel like. And clearly, yeah. they are about to get tricky. Just a tad. On April 23rd, 1936, the pair met up at a tea house in the Shibuya neighborhood of Tokyo, which was sort of like, like a tea house is sort of the model, the modern equivalent of going to a motel. But it was generally nicer and run by geisha who would entertain and serve the guests. Sada and Ishida had only intended to stay for two nights. But then that turned into four nights at that tea house. And then they couldn't stay there any longer, but they weren't done. So then they went to another tea house where they ended up staying for two weeks, just having nonstop sex. Like they would keep having sex when the room was being cleaned around them. They didn't give a shit. Like (laughs) people would come in, like the maids and stuff would come in to, to clean and they would be having sex. The geisha would come in to serve sake and they would be having sex. They didn't care. This sounds like a disorder. Like this is not healthy. I think they just were the most sexually compatible people like in the history of ever. They didn't say vacation. They said sexcation. I literally wrote that in the script. <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> uh, and so when they got back from their sexcation peak, <laughs> I wrote it. <laughs> what? I'm dead. They So they got back from their sexcation on May 8th, 1936. And Sada's feelings just got really jumbled so quickly, so quickly. For as much as she was infatuated with and falling head over heels in love with Ishida, she just couldn't stand the thought of him going back to his wife. And she started to have violent thoughts. Me just forgetting he was married. (laughs) Honestly, there are so many like little details in this story that you just will forget about because it just gets (laughs) so wild. Yeah. We are not we are not even close to the oh, I was gonna say the climax. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, so uh she couldn't stand the thought of him going back to his wife. She started having violent thoughts which were exasperated the following day, May 9th, literally the day after they got back, when she went to go see a play in which a geisha attacked her lover with a big kitchen knife. Two days later, Sada pawned some of her clothes in order to buy a knife like the one that was used in the play. I feel like that's not what you should pawn stuff for. No. <laughs> a- aim higher. Yeah. Yeah. The next time she saw Ishida, she threatened him with the knife and quoted what the geisha had said in the play by saying, Kichi, you wore that kimono just to please one of your favorite customers. You bastard. I'll kill you for that. And according to Sada, Ishida, like he was startled at first. He was like, what is this? I mean, obviously, who wouldn't be like you're literally being threatened with a knife. But then he he laughed and played it off as a joke. Like he thought it was just like a silly role play thing because she had just, you know, been to a play and was into it. And she's like, oh Sada said that he was actually like pretty delighted by it. He thought it was like a fun game. Oh, no, man. I don't think so. It's, it's not a fun game. It's not a fun game. So no game. A few days after that. So like they... This is this has only been like maybe a week or two. No, no, not even. This is less this is like a week since they got back from their first sexcation. 
They went to yep. another tea house for another sexcation. They just could not get enough of each other. They're just having some fun. <laughs> like, I don't blame them whatsoever for enjoying sex with each other. Like, you do you. Enjoy your sexuality. But it's just, it's not going to end well. So two days into this, into their second sexcation, Sada put the knife that she bought to the base of Ishida's penis and said that she would make sure he was never able to sleep with any other woman, only her. And again, Ishida was just thinking that this was like a game, like a fun little joke. And so he laughed. He was just like, oh, this is so charming, so cute. Um, during this time, they also started experimenting with autoerotic asphyxiation, which Sada did to Ishida first, but then he also did it to her. They just, they really liked it. Um, but I'm sure you can see where this is going. It, yeah. See, it's fine as, as long as it's safe, sane, consensual. Um, but I feel like this is very fast going to turn into a, a kink that they had not fully talked through, considering he thinks... That she, it's just a kink, but I'm pretty positive she literally wants to kill him. Like, that's the direction this is going in. So, (laughs) on May 16th, 1936, they spent hours and hours choking each other for pleasure. With uh, They used Sada's obi, which is the, the sash from the kimono that goes across the waist. And Sada just, she kept getting more into it. At one point, she choked Ishida to the point that his face didn't return to normal after she let go of the obi. And, like, Ishida wasn't dead, but he was in a lot of pain. So Sada gave him a sedative to help make him feel better and, like, help him go to sleep and be comfortable. And according to Sada, as Ishida was falling asleep from the sedative, he said to her, quote, You'll put the cord around my neck and squeeze it again while I'm sleeping, won't you? If you start to strangle me... Don't stop because it is so painful afterward. And now this is your no eating warning. No eating now. Sada says that she wondered if that meant he wanted her to kill him. But after reflecting on it later, like some time later, after all this happened, then she realized that it was more likely a joke. That night, though, she definitely didn't take it as a joke. And in the early morning hours of May 18th, 1936, at 2 a.m., while Ishida was asleep, she wrapped her obi around his throat one more time and strangled him to death. Sada later said that, quote, After I had killed Ishida, I felt totally at ease, as though a heavy burden had been lifted from my shoulders, and I felt a sense of clarity. She laid next to his body for several hours before she realized she couldn't stay there much longer. Um, so she um, she took the knife that she had bought and used it to cut off his penis so she could bring it with her. But oh, she wasn't done. She used the blood coming from where she had chopped off his, his penis and used it to write Sada and Ishida Kichizo are alone on his thigh, like in his blood. And then she wrote the same thing in his blood on the bed sheets, and then she carved her name into his arm. She said, I'm not going to be discreet. They're going to know it was <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah, geez. What the fuck? I need some wine because we're getting into it, okay? After that, she fled, wearing his underwear. And that's just like, that's not even weird. It's just, she wore his underwear. What was weird was she took the penis with her. Yeah, that's pretty that's weird. That's just on another level. As she left the tea house, it was, it was around 8 a.m., she told the staff not to disturb Ishida. And, like, they, they complied for as long as they could, especially because, like, in, in Japan, privacy is very much valued. Um, mm-hmm. And they take it very seriously. It's, like, a cultural thing. But a few hours later, they had to do their jobs. Like, they had to go into the room to clean. And that's when they found his body in the room. And a nationwide manhunt started for Sada. And obviously, a story like this would grab headlines anywhere in the world. It's wild. But in Japan, this was especially huge because they have this folkloric tradition of what they call the, quote, poison woman, which usually involves a woman killing her lover. So this was like like the Japanese was seeing one of their folktales come to life. And that's why this case 
became as big as it did. The search for and hysteria surrounding Sada was so big that it actually got its own name, uh, Abe Sada Panic, which is an expression still used today in Japan. So, like, Sada, she didn't do a lot to hide. She stayed in a hotel in Tokyo under a pseudonym. But bitch went to the movies. She had a massage. She drank some beers at the bar. Like, she was, she was out and about. She was living. And she spent some time writing goodbye notes to some former lovers, to Ishida. And I'm like, bitch, you already killed him. So why? Um, and then she wrote one to another friend as well because she planned on taking her life exactly one week after she was killed. Sorry, uh, exactly one week after she killed Ishida. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote what Sada later told the police about what she did and was planning to do. But it's like, th- this is the part I was talking about. This is the part, this this is why I needed wine. And at this point... This this is the part that I read and I said, <laughs> she put what, where? Um, it's awful. To my mom, my dad, and to Angelica's mom, Laura, please skip, <laughs> please skip the next 30 seconds. I do not want you to hear me say this. I don't even <laughs> want to say it. And I certainly don't want you guys to hear me say it. So please, please skip the next 30 seconds. <laughs> Sada said, quote, I felt attached to Ishida's penis and thought that only after taking leave from it quietly could I then die. I unwrapped the paper holding them and gazed at his penis and scrotum. I put his penis in my mouth and even tried to insert it inside me. It didn't work, however, though. I kept trying and trying. Then I decided I would flee to Osaka, staying with Ishida's penis all the while. In the end, I would jump from a cliff on Mount Ikoma while holding onto his penis. Unquote. I never want to say that ever again in my life. I hate that. I hate that. I'm sorry, but imagine if she had done that and they found her body and she was like, wait, what's that in her hand? Penis in hand. Penis! Also, that had to get funky. Oh, like, that had to get so funky. Like, oh bro. my god. No. Like, was she refrigerating it? Do you see why I had to talk about this case? Like, it's just too wild to not talk about. I can't get it out of my brain. If she could have just, like, planned even a little bit more than she did, she could have, like, taken a mold of it. <laughs> Gone the like, cast. But that, that's, that's the yeah. thing is she didn't want anyone else to be able to enjoy it. Enjoy the thing that had given her so much pleasure. I don't think you can. Like she said, she couldn't do it. She couldn't do anything with it. it. No, she couldn't. I don't think she realized that, though. Probably not. Yeah. So, okay. The police caught up to her on May 19th. Um, They went to her hotel room after they and the staff became really suspicious of the pseudonym that she used. I don't know what it was, but they were suspicious. The police knocked on her door at around four o'clock in the afternoon and Sada calmly answered it saying, don't be so formal. You're looking for Sada Abe, right? Well, that's me. I'm Sada Abe. <laughs> she didn't try. She didn't even try. What? And the police were so taken aback by this attitude that they were like, this isn't her. Like, why would she just admit it, you know? Uh, but she was like, oh, no, it's me. It's definitely me. And she proved it to them by showing them the penis. Oh, my God. So Here you go. disgusting. It's so bad. And so she was arrested, obviously. Um, yeah. Police interrogated Sada over eight sessions, and they were surprised by how forthcoming she was with information. She never tried to deny that she killed Ishida. In fact, when one of the officers asked her why she'd killed him, she said, he said that her face just lit up as she explained, quote, I loved him so much, I wanted him all to myself. But since we were not husband and wife, as long as he lived, he could, em- he could be embraced by other women. I knew that if I killed him, no other woman could ever touch him again. So I killed him. Unquote. It's a weird way to say you're jealous. Yep. (laughs) Very. Then when she was asked why she had cut off his penis and took it with her, she said, quote, because I couldn't take his head or body with me. I wanted to take the part of him that brought me back to the most vivid memories. She, she did. Never mind. Say it and I'll cut it out. Oh, uh, I was, I mean, you she didn't even have head. to cut it out. I, I was, yeah, she took a head. <laughs> she took some sort of head. 
I just she took the the head that she could put in her pocket. It's just it's got to be so shriveled. I just and nasty. Oh my god, I can't. Like even. that image is in my brain, so it has to be in yours too. The part, the worst part is that she took the scrotum. Yeah, too. she took the whole thing. Mm. How did the balls not fall out? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm serious. <sighs> Wouldn't they just slip out once there once there's an opening? I don't know. I really, I don't I'm want. No, sure I don't either. Happen. I don't want to know either. <laughs> I don't want to know what that looks no, like. No, I don't. Oh, okay. So, all right. Uh, uh, this case. This case was massive in the media, and rumors started to circulate around Japan that Ishida was quite large. So Sada decided to set the record straight on that by saying, quote, the quote, the, her quotes are just next level. She said, Ishida's was quite average. Size doesn't make a man in bed. Technique and his desire to please me were what I liked about Ishida, unquote. And look, you're right, but also... I, I'm sorry, Sada. I'm just not on your side. <laughs> no. Also, like, that's what you liked about him. He can't please you now. Yes, yeah, seriously. Did. What did she think? I just... Uh, and, okay, here's another thing that's just fucking weird. Oh, yeah. Ishida's penis was taken to Tokyo University's... Sorry, to Tokyo University Medical School's Museum of Pathology, where it was put on display to the public. But then, after World War II, it just disappeared. We don't know where it went. It's just gone. No more penis. Kind of like the heads in the Hinterkaifeck case. Yeah. <laughs> Why did they put it on display to the public in the first place? Honestly, I don't well, know. I mean, Sada thought it was art. <laughs> Truly. And so if you thought this case couldn't get weirder, let's go to the trial. Let's go to the trial. Her trial began on November 25th, 1936, and it was like the trial of the century for Japan. People lined up outside the courtroom from 5 a.m. to try and get a seat to see it because, I mean, this was before the days of live TV, so the only way that you were ever going to see it was to be there. The judge presiding over the trial, though, I have some issues with him because he admitted to being sexually aroused while listening to some of the details of the case in the courtroom. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? <laughs> he, he said, oh, no. <laughs> you know, um, that, uh, do you know, okay, you know Lonely Island from, yeah. um. Saturday Night Live. So, yeah, they, like, um, have a couple with Rihanna and Andy Samberg playing Shy Ronnie. And she just looks down and goes, boner alert. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're like in a courtroom. You look at the judge. (laughs) He's like, oh, I'm actually feeling this right now. He's like, you did what to him? Could you repeat that? Dude. (laughs) So there was no doubt that Sada was going to be convicted. Like she she did it. She said she did it. She wrote her name on him. Like it's she did it. Um, It was more just a matter of like how much time she was going to get. The prosecution was pursuing 10 years. That's it. That's it. That's... And I like, I have questions about this. I wonder if, you know, because this was the, this was just at the end of World War II. No, no, it wasn't. It was the beginning of World War II or it was like the midst of World War II. So I wonder if like, you know, maybe that had something to do with it. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know how the war in Japan affected their justice system. Um... But they were only pursuing 10 years. And that just seems really light to me. And Sada herself wanted the death penalty. Remember, she wanted to kill herself. So she's just like, well, if I can't do it, you guys do it. Um, But in the end, on December 21st, 1936, she was convicted of murder and the mutilation of a corpse, but was sentenced to just six years in prison. Okay, Oscar Pistorius. Oh, my God. Mm. Literally. Bro. But of that, she only ended up serving five years because her sentence was commuted. What is this case? I can't. That was like literally so premeditated. Seriously. At least with the Oscar Pistorius case, like there is some degree of doubt. Like not enough. Obviously, he fucking did it. But a lot more than with Sada. 
That's fucking incredible. What really strikes me with this case is that, yeah, Sada gave really clear answers as to why she did it. But I think everything she said and did is really indicative of someone that wasn't mentally well. She wasn't okay, clearly. And I didn't see a lot of discussion regarding her mental health in my research, except for this pre-war piece in the cycle in a book which was called The Psychological Diagnosis of Abe Sada. And remember, I talked about this in the um, South Korea episode. In South Korea, like Korea and Japan, it's surname first and then like family name first and then like your, yeah. your, your name name. So that's why it's backwards. Anyway, it argued that Sada's case was a perfect example of the dangers of letting women explore their sexuality and become sexually liberated. Oh Absolutely my not. god. This is like uh it's it's so clear like like you said they really didn't do a lot about her mental health because like I mean this is like the 1930s they're not gonna but of course they would be like oh this is it just this is no this is fake shit this is not they real. literally said in this book that sada's case and like letting women be sexually liberated and stuff and explore their sexuality was a threat to the patriarchy <laughs> which yeah Bro. it is but bitch that's a good thing <laughs> literally this is just kellogg's cornflakes vibes for truly me. truly <laughs> So, like, I'm not even going to touch on all the bullshit that was written in the book. Like, it's not worth our fucking time. No, it's it's literally just inaccurate. Yeah, it's just <laughs> stupid. Um, however, I do want to talk about her mental health a bit. And, um, like, what we're going to talk about is just speculation. These were just ideas that I had while I was researching. Um, I would say that they're better than um, the that stupid yeah, book. Uh, because <laughs> definitely Sada's mental health should not be ignored. Um, and no. we know she went through significant trauma when she was a teenager because of her rape and, you know, issues in her life started because of that, obviously. we Like, that was very much apparent. Um, and those things were not properly addressed. And I think her path in life would have been very different had she not have been raped. I don't, like, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about this case had she not been raped when she was a teenager. But I also think that there could be more at play here. We know that Sada had syphilis, and syphilis can actually affect your mental health. So I'm going to have Angelica talk about that for a little bit. Yeah. Also, so I <laughs> I did this research this morning. First thing I woke up. You're welcome. <laughs> typed in some, some syphilis, you know, uh, stuff. And the, like one of the first things I saw after waking up was just a really nasty looking penis. Uh, and I'm like, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> I just ew. Um so yeah, we know that Sada had contracted syphilis while she was working as a prostitute. And there's a chance that because she was living with this disease that ha had like an even greater impact on her that led to her erratic behavior. Okay, also I put erratic with a question mark before I knew what she did and the <laughs> Then I like I read that part about what she did with his penis, and I was like, "Yeah, that's erotic. It's erotic. Like, this is weird behavior. <laughs> this is this is very, very weird. This is erratic, erotic behavior." Yes. <laughs> also, like this has some. This has happened before, and I actually knew this a lot because I feel like one of the most famous cases of this is Cesare Borgia, and we all know I know a bunch about the Borgia family. Um, he had syphilis, and towards the end of his life, he just displayed a lot of signs of madness. Um, and this is because, or this has always like been linked to him having syphilis because of what can happen if syphilis goes unchecked. And like during this time, it usually did. Like, yeah, like she knew she had syphilis. Um, and it was considered treatable, not curable, but treatable, but she yeah. like made the very conscious decision to not remain uh, a geisha selling sex because part of the reason she didn't want to consent to the health check. So I don't think she yeah. was getting the treatment that was available treatment. to her. Me either. And also 
prior, I'll, I'll talk about her treatment, but, like, prior, she was, like, the treatments that they had were very illegitimate. Like, they weren't great. Um, they, they still aren't great. But, um, so, basically what happens when syphilis goes unchecked, well, like, a lot of things can happen. But tertiary syphilis. <laughs> Are you good? Oh, my. Syphilis? <laughs> you also said tertiary? <laughs> Tertiary. 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 Syphilis emerges about usually three to 15 years after a person contacts syphilis. Contracts? Contracts. Contracts. What the actual fuck? You know, I'm, when, uh, while yeah. I'm editing, I'm going to have to leave a lot of this in because it's going to make no sense otherwise. No, it's that's that's perfectly fine. You all should know about me by now. Um, I can't speak. Uh, one. Nope. Mm-mm. Okay, so. <laughs> Are you good? One. <laughs> yes. Do you need some wine? Uh, <laughs> yeah. One of the. One of the things that can come out of this is something called neurosyphilis, which is when the infection enters the central nervous system. And this is technically a neurological disease, but it can have neuropsychiatric symptoms. And now, usually this is just like dementia, but it also can cause mood changes that can present themselves in like mania or depression but also as psychosis. And she had all of the above. Yes. And she, like, she clear, like, she was not acting the way she had in her youth. And it just, it I mean, she, something was up. So, like, really, this could have been it. And like we said, when she contracted it, I used, I used the right word there. <laughs> what the hell? Um, there wasn't much treatment for it. But after she was released from prison, she started getting penicillin for it, which is still used today. So there's a chance that this helped to, like, diminish that psychosis that she may have been exhibiting, or at least... Like, it could have helped her lead a more Make normal life so. when she got it, out it of prison. It helped her live. Yeah, I mean, so, she... Yeah. So I'll talk about her later life in just a minute, but I feel like this is a much better explanation of, you know, what she, like why she did what she did than uh, her just being a sexually liberated yeah. woman. Like, fuck you, dude. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Like this, I And I, re- I have to reiterate, this is just like, while I was researching, I was like, it could be because of her syphilis. I did not see it mentioned anywhere. Um, so this is just our personal speculation, but I think this makes more sense. After she was released from prison, Sada tried to stay out of the public eye. She, she knew that she was well known. And so she didn't use her name when she became another man's mistress. But after his family figured out who she was, she broke things off with him. And she realized that like, she was never going to be able to live a life like she had before. She, she's, she's known now. She is completely famous across Japan. Someone was always going to recognize her, so she leaned into it. She gave interviews with prominent magazines, she published an autobiography, and she even traveled around with a theater company that was putting on a play that was like a similar story to what she had done. It was it was not a it was not a play about what she had done, but it was similar because again, like remember the, you know, woman killing her lover is part of the folkloric tradition in Japan. Yeah. Um, so she would like come out on the stage to be like a surprise guest and the crowds would just eat it up. They loved it. Um, surprise. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the one. Surprise, a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> By the early 1950s, though, she grew tired of this lifestyle and she settled back in Tokyo where she got a job working just in like a normal like working class pub. And she lived a pretty low key life. Her employer was happy with her. She worked hard and she brought a lot of business. Men wanted to to see her. They had like a morbid curiosity. Um, and she would sometimes put on little shows for the men that came to see her. So in a way, she kind of became the revered entertainer that she had always wanted to be, albeit under very different circumstances. In like a very sick and <laughs> <Yeah>. way. <laughs> she kind of became that 
that geisha sort of like she she wasn't a geisha in later life but she kind of achieved yeah. what she had wanted to do in her early life but she had to do some horrible shit to get there so yeah she didn't stay completely out of the spotlight the rest of her life she still occasionally did interviews and even appeared in a documentary in 1969 uh it wasn't about it wasn't specifically about what she did but it was uh, about like i think it was something about dangerous women of the meiji era and she lived like she grew up during the end of the meiji era of japan um but by the 1970s she had just completely disappeared from the public eye and when prominent japanese director nagisa oshima was making his film in the realm of the senses which was about what sada did it wasn't a documentary it was a but like a, a dramatized film about it he had a really difficult time tracking her down but he eventually found her with all of her hair cut off living in a nunnery in Kansai, which was, this was, this would have been like the mid 1970s, but he has no pictures or any way to like prove that she was there. So we only have his word that he found her and literally nothing else is known about her life or we don't even know what year she died, let alone a specific day or like what she died of. We don't know. Um, and for such yeah. a huge wild case, that's such a that's weird, oddly calm ending. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. it's like she just faded away. And I feel like the yeah. fact that we don't know when she died or how she died also kind of adds to the legendary aspect, like this mythical aspect that the case has, because this is still so yeah. referenced yeah. a lot in Japanese pop culture. It is massive. So in my animes now, I'm going to be looking out for references to Sada. So if you would like to see pictures from this case, uh, you can head on over to our social media. We have uh, an Instagram. It's at TrueCrimeINTL. We also have a Facebook group, which you can find by just searching True Crime International. And the Facebook group has it's been popping off lately. Like people have been has posting been, yeah. and replying to our messages and comments. Like it's it's been really fun over there. So definitely join the Facebook group. There's definitely more activity there than on our Instagram. Um, but still follow us on Instagram. If you like our podcast and you would like more episodes, uh, more red eyes, more full length episodes, more layovers, all of it, you can join our Patreon. It's just $5 a month currently. We do have a goal. Now we will add another level and thus more content once we reach uh, 100 patrons. We're currently at 10. So please help us get there. <laughs> also, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, and I know many of you are, we can see the stats. Uh, it would be so great if you would please leave us a five-star review. It helps people find the show. Uh, Apple Podcasts is great for helping launch successful podcasts. So if you could please take a minute or two out of your day to leave us a five-star review, we would be so endlessly grateful. It helps us more than you would even, like it helps us at this point, probably just as much as joining the Patreon. So it's a way for us, it's a way for you to support the show without actually having to give us money. So please, 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 if you live, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, Leave us a five-star review. And tis, tis it. Tis all I've got today. We hope you learned something new today, and we hope you enjoyed your stay here at True Crime International. Bye. 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 Bye.